Welcome to RC Plane Lab. I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Last week we talked about servos and how to correctly mount them. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, the eyelets go down. Against the surface, yeah, that's, that you're mounting them to. That's the biggest takeaway. If you took nothing else <laughs> away from last week's episode, that is this. Yes. Eyelets go down. Eyelets now that you've installed down. them in your airplane, what's next? Hooking them up to your control surfaces. That's... The next logical step, once you get them <laughs> mounted into your airplane. And then you get to go fly and play and have fun. And then, yeah. And then the fun is just a short bit away. So um, how about we start with the mechanical linkages that uh, connect the servo to the control surface? Okay. Sounds good. So, yeah, we have uh, – so the connection sort of goes like this. It goes uh, – you have your servo mm-hmm. that is now correctly mounted in your airframe with the eyelets – down against down. the eyelets down. mounting surface. Eyelets always down. Exactly. So you have the servo arm next in the uh, in the chain of uh, events that are going to take the motion from the servo to the control surface. Uh, then you have the push rod connection at the servo arm. Then you have the push rod itself. And then you have another push rod connection on the control horn, uh, which is then uh, connected to your controlled device. And that could be either an elevator surface, an aileron surface, rudder, uh, throttle arm maybe. Um, I don't know. What else? Bomb uh, door opening. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Bomb release mechanism. Any any kind of uh, device that you want to control with your servo, that's the, that's the chain that we're talking about. <laughs> that's the end point. Exactly. So really quick, the arm, just for definition sake, is okay. the piece that goes on the servo. Exactly. And the horn is the piece that goes onto the control surface. Right. So if we say horn, we're talking about control surface side. And if we say arm, servo side. Yeah. I tend to, I tend to do that a lot. Uh, I just assume everybody knows when I say arm that, uh, that they know I'm talking <laughs> about the servo arm. I don't. So, uh, I apologize in advance if I, if I say arm, uh, when I say that, I'm talking about the, the servo connection or the servo arm, uh, and the horn is the control horn on the surface. So I apologize in advance if I just say arm, but that's what I mean when I say arm or horn. Oh, and that's why we talked about it now to get that cleared up. <laughs> exactly. So we know. So since we're talking about arms, mm-hmm. what what is an arm? So an arm is a, is a device that's attached to the servo output shaft uh, that uh, basically transmits that servo motion into a, another motion that will physically move your control surface. Uh, they can be made of plastic. They can be made of metal. Um, there's lots of different shapes and sizes. Uh, usually I like to use the arms that come with my servos. Uh, because usually they're designed to work with my servos. Um, but there are certainly situations where, you know, you might want to use an aftermarket or a heavy duty. Uh, you'll see lots of different types. Also known of, as more expensive. Yes, they are <laughs> a little more expensive. A lot. Uh, the metal ones especially, mm-hmm. um, which I don't buy a lot of those. So um, Don't look at me. <laughs> you have some metal servo well, you, on the table. You I also guess, have some. So you own more than I do. Well, I have more airplanes than you do. Oh, I didn't mean that. That's probably the meanest thing you could have said to me. (laughs) That hurts. Um, At any rate, uh, like I said, they come in different shapes. Uh, You'll see um, arms with four legs on them or three legs on them or two or one or six. And some, sometimes you see a servo arm that doesn't, it's not an arm at all. It's just a big wheel. Um, What do you mean by leg? So 
let's say a, an arm that has four legs. It's basically it looks like a if you look at it, it looks kind of like a star has four points on it. I call each one of those a leg. Oh, like a plus. Okay, you know what so I'm saying. So a four legged one looks like a plus sign. A yeah, two legged exactly. one looks like a sub minus sign. A subtraction exactly. sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, or one is rotated. I guess a, a four one looks like a multiplication sign. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, right. Rotated. Uh, <laughs> X versus a plus. Yeah. 45 degrees, I guess it would be. But yeah, so um, I call those legs. Uh, there are probably other names for them too, but uh, a lot of people assume, uh, and I did too for a long time, that um, let's say a six-legged servo arm was in case you needed six connections to the servo. That's not exactly right. It, uh, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but it allows you flexibility on how to mount that arm so that you can get it exactly centered where you want and you get that leg exactly in the position that you want it in, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, Really quick before we go any farther again too, with the different legs that are coming off, is there anything ever wrong with cutting them off if they get in your way? Absolutely not. Okay. In fact, I, as a matter of habit, I do that. Just because oh, you actually okay. Just See, because I think it looks cleaner. Okay, uh, I don't like having all those extra legs moving around whenever I'm, <laughs> you know, operating my control surfaces. So once I get my connections set and I get the setup right and I get the the angles and the travel the way I want, I usually will will cut off those extra legs because they're just not necessary. Because and I don't reuse them. Like if um if if my airplane, heaven forbid crashes, uh, I, I'm probably not going to, well, I'm definitely not going to reuse the servo arm, uh, because it may have taken, you know, stress and a crash or whatever. So I'll just go ahead and they're the plastic ones really? from the, from the manufacturers are pretty cheap. So I'll just put a new one on there. And I have, usually you get a, a nice assortment of them when you buy a, a new servo, um, and you save those, right? Cause you don't throw anything away. No, you might need it later. Exactly. So I, I have we a all have hundreds pretty, of them. <laughs> yeah, wide assortment of them left over uh, from the many years I've been doing this. So many. Um, so many, I'll go ahead and pop many, new ones on there. For, many years <laughs> for a new. <laughs> I get it. I'm old. You're, you're the one that said it. I had to make sure to point that. Out. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, I'll put a new one on um, and trim off the uh, the legs that I don't need, just okay. for a nice clean look, and then. <laughs> I probably go overkill. I'll get my Dremel with a sanding gonna, drum. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> because I could see you doing that. Because yeah. that's, I mean. Mine are all know, sharp. Yeah, Don't touch you, it. It's going to cut you. Yeah. If you cut off a leg <laughs> with, a, with a pair of side cutters and it leaves those nasty kind of square edges, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Well, um, see, I, I go one step farther. I will cut it off with a pair of side cutters and then cut each 90 degree angle down to 45. So it's rounded enough for me. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll actually go the next step and get my <laughs> drum out with a sanding drum and make, make it nice and round and smooth. But I am not surprised. That's just me. So anyway, that's, that's, a servo, that's what a servo arm is. Okay. Um, the uh, control surface horn or the control horn, again, uh, they can be made of many different materials. I've seen plastic. I've seen metal. Um, there's also FRP, which is fiberglass reinforced plastic. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen fiberglass uh, uh, versions. I've seen carbon fiber ones. There's lots of different flavor. I've seen wooden ones actually. Yeah. Um, lots of different flavors, and they can be um, they can be bolt on. They can be built into the surface. Uh, lots of different styles and shapes and, and sizes. On. They can be glue on. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, in the case of uh, our little foamies, sometimes they just press into the foam. 
yeah. with a little hot glue. Um, so uh, lots of different shapes and sizes and materials, but basically um, it's a device that uh, attaches to your control surface uh, that allows you to make that push rod connection. So there you go. That's an arm and a horn. Those are okay. the definitions. So let's talk about push rods. <laughs> you get way too excited about push rods. <laughs> well, they're they're like they're the the thingy that connects the servo to the control surface. I mean, they're really really important. They are, um, and they're I don't know they're just neat. There's so many different styles. You know, you've got like the the solid wire push rod that that slides in a tube or not. Sometimes you can uh, you can put holes in your airframe in your formers just the right size to run your solid metal push rod through there. I've done that. I do that for throttle a lot on my sport type airplanes. Hmm. Um, there's the plastic uh, push rod in a tube kind of arrangement, um, which are pretty common and really, really easy to set up. Um, one thing I don't like about those uh, is with temperature, because the plastic shrinks and swells, it can change your trim. Never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you if you fly in the same climate all the time, it's probably not not a big deal. But here where we live, it can be it changes <laughs> by Illinois, day. It can be twenty <laughs> degrees one day and sixty degrees the next day, and it actually does uh, shrink and swell a little bit. Uh, and such that if you're if you're a really good pilot, not me, but if you're a really good pilot, you can you can feel that trim change with temperature change. So, um, but anyway, I've used them the the plastic uh, tube in a tube type push rods. Uh, like I said, those are really easy <laughs> to set up uh, and they look cool too. And they're really slick. They slide really easy. So um, there's wooden dowels. You can actually use a wooden dowel uh, as a push rod. That's old school, um, uh, but I've, you know, I've done it. I've got a few airplanes that have that in it. Yeah. SIG Older is ones, a, but yeah. yeah. SIG airplanes are, are uh, uh, common uh, with those and they work great. Um, basically it's a, it's a, uh, a piece of a wooden dowel, and then on either end, you take a piece of a wire, put a 90-degree bend in it, and drill a little bit of a hole in the end of the, on the side, actually, towards the end of the push rod, and that 90-degree bend kind of goes down in that hole, and you file maybe a little trough for that wire to sit in uh, to the push rod, and then you wrap it, if you really want to get trick, uh, wrap it with thread, and then, yeah, and then epoxy the whole thing together. It makes a really, really nice uh, push rod, actually. It's not real heavy. Um, same idea with the uh, fiberglass push rods or, or aero shafts. Uh, there's uh, special devices that you can use Aero. to. You mean like actual? Yeah, like bow and arrows. Yeah. Oh. Aero, aero shaft. Yeah. I was thinking A E R O, like an arrow shaft or something. Oh, oh I'm sorry. No, no like an actual bow and arrow using. Yeah, okay. A R R O W. Arrow shafts, I've seen those used as push rods. In fact, I think Sullivan used to sell. Uh, uh, push rods that way uh, with a special insert that they made it or that they manufactured uh, that glued into the end of it with the wire sort of um, the threaded end sort of incorporated into that and those are really popular too because they're really really light uh, a lot lighter than the uh, hard dowel. dowel ones yeah so yeah. <clears throat> so there's those um, there's uh, wire cables like in a pull pull type arrangement which are really common with uh, big airplanes and even some smaller sport type airplanes are putting them on rudder um, which is nice that's uh, a good setup mm-hmm. uh, there's uh, Kevlar thread in a pull pull arrangement same idea um, you know basically connection on either side of the rudder you know with tension on both leads um, pretty slick setup slop free usually um, Carbon fiber rods, actually, a small diameter that have uh, specialized metal inserts machined just for them. You glue them in, and then they have the threaded ends uh, machined into them that you make your connections with. That's kind of like the the arrow. 
Yeah, like an arrow shaft, but uh, usually quite a bit smaller in diameter. And these are that type of connection is for um, shorter push rods on big airplanes, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, we're not using a terribly long push rod, but you want something rigid between the servo and the control surface, and that's uh, that's one connection you can make between between those two types of surfaces. Uh, same idea with a ProLink. Um, it's basically just a a turnbuckle is what I call it. It has yeah. left hand threads on one end and right hand threads on the other, and it throws into threads into plastic clevises or plastic rod ends or heim joints. Um, I or think Dubro makes them. Yeah, ball yeah. links or swivel links. Um, those are those are great for uh, um, smaller, shorter connections. Uh, expensive. They they are very expensive. expensive. But boy, are they they're easy to install and they they're nice because they're turnbuckles. So if you turn it one direction, you can make that push rod longer, and you turn it the other direction, it makes it shorter. Yeah. So kind of helps with the setup and. Uh, for any trim changes you might need to make in the future, you don't actually physically have to disconnect it, which is kind of a neat deal. So that's some of them. I mean, there's lots of lots of different ways to accomplish the task of connecting the servo to the control surfaces, but um, that's the many different types of push rods that you'll that you'll see out there. So the tri motor, everyone's going to be a pull pull. That's our goal. I mean, we <laughs> wanted to kind of make it authentic, and I th- believe most of the Almost all the control all surfaces on yeah. the trimotor are pull-pull. So we're oh. going to have a heck of a time with that. That's <laughs> going to be fun. Actually, I don't think it's going to be as hard as, as, we, no. as we're making it It's going to look neat, though. It's going to look really cool. So yeah. I'm excited. Me too. But, but yeah, pull-pull, that's what we're going to use on the trimotor, we think. <laughs> the plan so far. Or at least a faux pull-pull if necessary. Right? Uh, I think... I think they're all going to be pull-pull. Okay, then. Right on. I mean, yeah. If we have it, yeah, all pull-pull. Okay, pull-pull. There we go. He's made the decision. all the way. (laughs) So, yeah. So, let's talk about the connections that you, the push rod connections that you make at the, at the horn or the arm. Um, The, go ahead. So, what do you mean? You mean the, the part that actually goes, like from the push rod to like connect the push rod to the horn itself. Exactly. Or the arm, now that we know the difference. Yeah. Yep. And it can be at either end. You can use um, the, the type of connection you, you can usually use at either end. So, for instance, um, I'll pick one, um, a plastic snap link. Let's say uh, Goldberg used to make these. Dubro makes them. Um, snap. They're, they're a plastic clevis. Sullivan makes these in a metal version. Um, and it's basically just two metal or two tabs with a pin uh, that connect the two that goes through the hole in the arm or the horn, if that makes sense. Um, it does. Yeah. How well do those actually work? Like, how, what's the longevity on those? Because the piece, like the the actual plastic piece that goes between the clevis, I mean... The pin? The pin. There you go. Okay. That always seems like it'd be a failure point to me, like an easy failure point. Yeah. So, in... <laughs> well, I've, I caught you off guard. <laughs> well, I've never seen one fail. Oh, okay. But I will caveat that by saying I, I, I take safety measures. You know, I use some safety precautions, like especially when I'm using plastic clevises. Uh, and I'm talking about the snap together clevises like Dubro makes and Goldberg made, you know, many years ago. Um, and I think most ARFs actually, sport type ARFs will have that sort of a connection in mm-hmm. the in the in the kit. Um, I take a piece of fuel tubing 
uh, about a quarter inch long, and I slide that over those tabs. And then when I make my connection, I've got everything all nice and set up the way I want it to. I slide that piece of tool of fuel tubing um, over those tabs to act as a kind of a a, clamp. a securing device. Yeah. Yeah. Now some clevises have that built in, like Sullivan, their metal ones. They have a little a key or a keeper that actually snaps onto the end of the pin once you've made the connection. And like I said, oh, plastic or metal, I've never seen a pin fail. Okay. Now I've seen them, I've seen them wrecked. Like after a crash, they obviously, I've seen them fail then. Yeah. But I've actually, I've, me personally, I've never had one fail in flight. Never cause a crash. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, but I've, it could be that I'm just really, really lucky, or it could be that I don't fly as much as I should or fly as much as other <laughs> folks. But Or as um, hard as you should. <laughs> but, I, but I do notice over time, especially the metal uh, clevises like the, the Sullivan ones, they will over time because we have vibration, no matter how careful we are with balancing our propellers which we talked about before, mm-hmm. um, we still have some vibration. And that vibration over time will cause that metal pin to wear out or elongate that hole in your plastic horn or arm usually. Um, so that can set up slop over time. Um, so that's something that, you know, if you fly a lot, especially one airplane that you fly a lot, maybe that's your favorite, um, and it's set up that way, um, check those connections often for slop. And because slop, uh, can develop into flutter, and we all know flutter uh, from Flutter's one of our bad. <laughs> yeah, from one of our previous episodes is not a good thing. So, no. um, so yeah, there's clevises, there's uh, easy connectors. <laughs> well, now hold on with with the clevises, like you have to be prepared for using a clevis because you have to have a threaded end exactly, on, and a matching threaded end by the way, because right. there's multiple there's different sizes. Yep. Yeah, on the push rod. Yep. So there's. Here in the U.S., we are on the Imperial system, so we use 256 and 440. Uh, those are probably the most common uh, clevis thread sizes um, in the, you know, everywhere else in the world that uh, is on the metric system. I think they're two millimeter, I think, two and a half millimeter, something like that. Um, but yeah, you, you have to use a matched setup. So your push rod end, like either end of your push rod that makes the connection to the servo or the control surface arm or horn, um, has to be ready to accept that. So, uh, usually it's a threaded end of some kind, uh, on our larger airplanes. Uh, sometimes I've seen 632, which is up there around three millimeter, I think. Um, and actually 632 might be closer to three and a half millimeter, but either way, um, you have to have a threaded end unless you're using Z bends, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, or easy connectors. (laughs) I've never seen threaded or a, a Z bend on that size on what size like three eighths or not oh, three eighths oh, like wow, eighth inch or no three eighths is huge. yeah usually usually Z bends we're gonna we're gonna be at the 256 I uh, had there are Z benders out there that will bend 440 I I I'm, your hole in the servo arm has to be so so big at that point that I would be worry about risking the integrity of the arm. <laughs> but yeah, um, so you have a clevis or or some of these other like a, a heim joint or a swivel link or whatever. What's a heim joint? I've never it's, heard it's of that. It's another term for a ball end. Yeah. So you know what a swivel link is. Uh-huh. Um, a heim joint is just a basically another term for that. It's it's a captured ball in the end of a plastic. Oh, so the same thing, but just another name. Yeah, just another name for it. Is that like Um, a brand name or like? I don't know. 
I know it's used in the automotive world. They call them heim joints. I know they use them like, like on, um, at the end of a turnbuckle, like on race cars, they have the threaded rod end. they call them heim joints. I don't know. I must, maybe it's just a universal thing for that setup, but anyway, it has to thread onto something. Um, so the end of either, uh, the end of your push rod has to have threads that are ready to accept that. Like I said, there are different types of threads. Here in America, we use the Imperial system, and more often than not, you're going to find 256, 440, or 632 on really big applications. So so that's the clavis, right? Okay. Um, uh, so a, a, a ball, a swivel end or a ball joint or a um, – Swivel link, I think Dubro calls them swivel links. Uh, they act kind of the same way as a clevis, uh, but instead of snapping onto the control surface, they actually bolt to the control, I'm sorry, a control horn or arm. Um, they actually use a bolt with a nut on the backside, a much, much more secure connection um, that on some manufacturers is actually adjustable for wear over time, which is pretty slick. Hmm. Uh, Dubro makes some swivel links that have a... Uh, I believe it is a 256 bolt that goes through the the farthest, you know, outermost end of that rod end that you can actually kind of clamp down as that ball wears into the plastic, which is pretty slick. Uh, that way, you don't have to replace the end; you just give it a give it a quarter of a turn to well, tighten, tighten it up. It up. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but this, it's the same sort of connection. It threads onto the end of your push rod and then makes the connection to your arm or horn via a through bolt. It bolts actually to the arm with a nut, usually on the backside for safety. So, same type of uh, same type of connection, just a little bit more secure, um, and definitely gonna um, last longer. Uh, so, my least favorite connector. And Ron's favorite connector. As the name implies. Oh, I hate these things. Easy connectors. You know why I like them? I don't know. Because they're easy. They're easy. Yeah, I mean, they really are. Good. They and are. They're I know very you've easy had to issues. Yeah, I know you've had issues with them, and you've chided me for many years <laughs> for using them. Um, however, as we have said, I don't know how many times before, know your application. Right. And I would not use them on a bigger balsa airplane. I would not use them on anything that I consider uh, important to me. Or sentimental. Or sentimental. However, (laughs) anything that is simple, anything that is cheap, anything like profile foamies or anything where I want to be able to adjust it if I need to, man, they are perfect. Yeah. And they're cheap. Really? Yeah, they're really not that expensive. All things considered, they're yeah. not very expensive they are, at all. They are super, just like the name in, you know implies. They are super easy, easy. to set up. Yeah. Um, but there's a few things that I that I'm not real um, fond of about them. Like I don't want to I don't want to poo poo them all together <laughs> because they do serve a purpose. Like on our foamies, on our little man, they're perfect for those. I know, and that's what I mean. So know know what you're doing with them, yeah. and know your your application. Yeah. And I have no problem. with And them. I really like using them in that application. But I like on a even on a forty sized sport plane, I won't use them. And here's uh, why: I have, I know, I have too. I'm guilty <laughs> of it. I, I'm, I'm I've used them, but um, but here's why I don't like them. So if you're not familiar with what an easy connector is, it's basically a bushing that uh, more or less just pokes through the hole of your servo arm and then it has a plastic snap not all device. Some are metal. Some are metal. Uh, but most of the ones I've seen have a plastic device that just basically presses onto the 
other end of the pin, and that is the connection to your servo arm or control horn if you're using them on that end. I have a problem with anything that is just press fit because vibration over time is going to probably loosen that up. Okay. However, now I'm going to defend the ones that I bought last because okay. they came with both the plastic ones that you're talking about right. and the metal clips. Mm-hmm. Now, the metal clips that go on it, they're not E-clips. They're, you know, what are they gone from a from yeah, the side, but they're yeah. a full, it's like a full capture thing to where it has the, uh, what do you call it? The little ears mm-hmm. that go around the notch inside of that little... Uh, uh, doohickey <laughs> comes the out pin? of the, uh, the pin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and that, I mean, that's a good connection. Yeah, you're, you are not getting that off. Sorry, hold on. You are not right. getting that off without breaking that uh, clip. Absolutely true. Because I've had to do it before. Yeah. And you cannot pull it off without breaking it. So that's I true. don't think that's accidentally going to come off in flight. No, probably not. But the plastic ones might, but, but the metal ones will not. Um, usually the ones that I've had experience with are not exactly the pin is not exactly the right size to make it through the hole in the arm at you know and make a really nice solid connection more often than not the hole in the arm is too big either because i've drilled it out too big or because it was molded too big or whatever so that pin is not a nice um i don't want to say tight because you don't want any friction um, but it's not a secure fit in that hole and it wobbles and that causes inconsistencies with, especially if you're using it for throttle, you know, maybe, you know, you may have 10, 15 degrees of stick deflection on your throttle and you'll get no movement at your throttle because all that movement is being taken up by the slop and that pin in the hole. That drives me nuts. <laughs> I can, I can understand that. Okay. So that's one of the other reasons I don't like them. And then the big one, and this is the big one for me. So... Describing an easy connector, it's this, it's this big, it's a metal device that, that pins and, you know, otherwise attaches to your servo arm or control surface. And it's got a hole drilled through it to accept a smooth um, wire rod, mm-hmm. which is your push rod. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it uses a set screw. Mm-hmm. to Which makes it infinitely adjustable. To then clamp the rod within the easy connector. And mm-hmm. that is your connection to that control surface. Most of the times, now not all of them, but most of the ones that I've seen, uh, the end of the set screw actually has a little bit of a, uh, a gouging mechanism or whatever you want to call it that will actually eat into that rod a little bit and makes a, a pretty good connection for small airplanes. I've had them fail. That you don't care about. I've had, well, granted, but I've had them fail. And I've I'm, even, I'm not saying you haven't. And I've even gone to the extra lengths that, you know, probably most folks don't, is to grind a flat spot on the push rod where that set screw bears down, like you're supposed to do with, you know, with any set screw. Yeah, um, and I've I don't. still had them, I've still had them, and when I say fail, I shouldn't say fail. I, I mean slip. slip. Yeah. Slip, maybe. Yeah. So I'm not a fan uh, on, on, larger models but on our foamies man they're they're perfect they're they're, they're perfect yeah. for that application once again know what you're putting them in and be fine with losing it just them, in case like dubro makes a heavy duty version designed to accept a 440 rod that's a pretty big that push is, rod that you're yeah. probably not going to put on a foamy 
Well, like I said, so personal anyway. choice. You know, everybody has their own thing they like to use. And yeah, that's I will true. use them for cheap ones. Yeah. And I still will too. <laughs> uh, for my foamies, for sure, because they, they make the setup so easy uh, and they're super easy to use. But know your application, easy connectors for foamies, thumbs up. All right. So what's next? Well, What's next is really kind of my favorite uh, servo connection because I fly a lot of, well, most of my models are sport balsa, you know, not real big, um, not real expensive because, you know, airplanes, oh, you know, if you have a lot of them, uh, they tend to get pricey. So I... Uh, Z-Bend is, uh, is probably my, the, my favorite one, and that's what's, that's what's next. And you know how you accomplish a Z-Bend? Well, you use... It's time for RC Plane Labs Tool of the Week. The Z-Bend plier. Yep. Yeah, we got one right here on the desk. We uh, have two right We there actually do. That's desk. right. One's um, yours, one's mine. But yeah, every every modeler uh, who wants to build, um, you know, sport balsa airplanes should own a pair of these. They're really not that expensive. No, they're not. Um, but here's what I like about super them. Super easy to use. Not only, yeah, not only are they easy to use, but it's one less failure point exactly. when you're hooking up a control surface. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the nice thing about it is, too, it's cheap. <laughs> like, really, if you're you going for something inexpensive, yep. the best way and most inexpensive way to do it is to use a Z-Bend on one end and then whatever else you want to use on the other end. Using the Z-Bend, though, yep. it just, it, it's captured. It can't come out yeah. without breaking. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't have any, really any issues with it not working the way it's supposed to. Exactly. Um, so I'll describe what a Z-Bend is. It's uh, basically a Z-shaped bend in your wire pushrod. Man, it's like they were brilliant when they <laughs> named that, right? right? Uh, so, so you, if you can picture it, you know, you're sliding your servo. Let's say we use them. I like to use them at the servo arm. Actually, really? It's not. No, no, no. Sorry. It, it's not actually a Z bend. After you said that, the more I started to think about it. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's not really a Z. It's really more like an N. Well, it's not even an N. No, it's not an N. It's, it's a 90 degree angle and then another 90 degree angle. That's true. So it's like a plateau. Yeah. But anyway. Or a step. <laughs> there, that, yeah, it's Maybe even it's better. a step bend. A step bend. Yeah. Well, I'm disappointed now. Yeah. But it kind of looks like a Z if you don't know how to make a Z very well. That's true. <laughs> like maybe if you're a second grader. Maybe oh, what a second grader would. Maybe they should know how to do a Z. But anyway, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Z-Bend because that's what they're called. But it's not really a Z. No, it's not. It's two, like you said, it's two 90-degree bends basically opposite each other mm -hmm. or 180 from each other. Yeah. So um, I like to use them on my servo end uh, because it cleans up the installation in the fuselage. Then I don't have a lot of, you know, clevises or easy connectors, you know, just kind of moving about in the fuselage. Um I like it on the other end, by the way. You like it at the control surface? I like it at the control surface because then it looks better from the outside. Oh, no, I, I get that. Yeah. It's less um, hanging out from the back of the airplane. Sure. I like it on the inside because then my clevis is on the outside. So if I need to make an adjustment to the airplane, I don't have to pull the wing off and get into the fuselage to the radio to make an adjustment. Hmm. I can just turn the clevis right there at the surface and make my adjustment. But, you know, I totally, I totally get the cleanliness. I had not thought of it that way, but yeah, I may set them up like that. Uh, <laughs> that from just blew your mind. <laughs> you did. You did. Because um, I'm all about cleanliness. I know. That's um, why I said it. But anyway, it's just a, so it's, as we established, it's two 90 degree bends. And if you can, uh, if you can imagine you take your servo arm, um, sometimes 
and this is where slop, you know, where we want to try to avoid slop whenever possible, uh, we usually have to bore uh, the hole in your servo arm to accept the the rod, the 256. Almost or, always. Almost always. Um, so the drill bit I think I use for that, don't quote me, I think it's a number 38. <laughs> I think. Um, actually, that seems like it might be too big. At any rate, find a bit that is just the right size uh, to, to drill that hole and give you a nice uh, friction-free but no slop uh, fit into that hole. And you basically just slide the arm over the first 90-degree bends, make it flat, and you're ready to connect it to your servo. Mm -hmm. And um, because I like things clean, um, I'll usually set my bend so that the extra wire is underneath the arm, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do I do the same thing Yeah, um, if I can. Right. Otherwise, I put it to the inside of the airplane. Exactly. Yep. So by the fuselage. Right. Um, and, then, and then on the other end, yeah, you make uh, whatever connection at the control surface or the, or the servo in your case that you like. Um, but they're super easy to use and very, very secure. Just like you said, you don't have to buy any extra stuff to do it. You've already got the rod there. Just put a quick Z-bend in it and you're ready to go. You're ready to move on to the other end. You know, so, I had one, like I've never had a problem doing them before, but I had one rod that I bought Anytime I did a Z-bend in it, it would just break. Oh, really? Like I would come with three pieces. Like yeah. it was tempered or something. I don't know what it was. That's but it strange. was an actual push rod because yeah. it had, you know, one side was threaded. Oh, I'll be darned. But yeah, it kind of upset me because I you had know, to throw it away. I think I've run into that too. Like I've been trying to make a, like a throttle push rod or whatever. And I'll, you know, use, get out my pair of pliers and make a 90 degree bend. And I've had them break before too. Hmm. Um, yeah. Weird. It is weird. I don't want to like, like a tempered. You don't want to use tempered rods. You use the the mild annealed um, steel alloy rods like Dubro makes and Sullivan and the other companies. Yeah, so. that way they're they're still pliable and not brittle. Right, and because they're pliable, they're less susceptible to breakage from vibration. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Z bends, love them. Me too. What's next? Uh, solder links. Solder links. That's a little bit different. That's something that you're you're basically. Um, adding threads to the end of a non-threaded rod via a solder-on link. So basically, if you can imagine, uh, it's a short piece of brass usually. Uh, the half of it's threaded, and the other half is just an open, not an open hole, but it's a, you know, a board <laughs> hole in the end of it designed mm -hmm. to slide over your 256 rod, let's say, for example, and then be soldered in place. So then you now have threads at the end of your push rod. Almost like a plumbing joint. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I've never used one of those. I've used them. Uh, they, they work pretty well. You know, you have to be um, okay at soldering uh, because that's definitely yeah. a failure point that you want to yeah. try to avoid. So I wouldn't think that would be too difficult, though. Like it's soldering not. something small like that would be fairly simple. Yeah. And they're like, as long once, as it's hot enough. Yeah. Once it's soldered, you know, you rough up the end of the rod. Once it's soldered, uh, and if it's soldered correctly and it's not a cold joint, um, they're they're very secure. Yeah, it's not, not something I want anywhere. to use all the time, but on my you know my balsa airplanes, my sport forty size airplanes, I'll I'll go to those occasionally. It's a little time consuming. It is. I mean, compared to a Z bend. But like, so I'm cheap, so I have a lot of leftover two fifty six rod with no threads on it at home. So if I need a quick push rod and I don't want to drive two hours away to the hobby shop to get one, I'll solder one of those on, and now I've got a threaded rod. Yeah. So, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I've used them and they work pretty well. 
Uh, they, they do tend to get heavy because that's a big piece of brass at the end of your push rod. So if weight is a, is a concern, I mean, granted, it's not adding a large amount of weight in the grand scheme of things, but they are heavier than a standard uh, steel rod of the same length or a plastic fiber or, you know, plastic or fiberglass push rod. So yeah. um, solder links, I've used them. They work pretty well. Um, and then the probably the most secure connection, which I mentioned a little bit ago, are secure. Swi- sorry, and most expensive. Yeah, they are. Uh, so swivel links, uh, and these come in many, many different sizes. Like um, I think you can you can get them all the way down here in the U.S. Anyway, I know you can get them down to two fifty six, but you may be able to get them smaller now too. I'm not <laughs> oh sure. Um, but they are very, very secure. Uh, and the nice thing about them, like I mentioned earlier, is that some of them are actually adjustable for wear over time. And uh, what a swivel link is, like it's just a captured a ball, uh, basically snapped into a, a plastic housing that's round like an eyelet, and then it has uh, threads on the other, or internal threads on the other end to be threaded onto the end of your push rod. And then these are made to be actually physically bolted uh, to the control horn or the server arm. So very, very secure. Um, yeah. And they can get expensive, but, uh, man, they're really slick. Especially when you add them up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when you when you talk about the whole thing that goes together, because that goes with the turnbuckle. Right. You know, that's what you what you use those on most of the time. Most of the time. And yep. that adds up when you got to do two of them and the turnbuckle and everything for an expensive yeah. servo. Right. Now, but I will it's say, worth doing it because that's yeah. the best way to do oh, it. Oh, for sure. Um, I will say on the, I think on my Duelist, I actually used them uh, on one end of both my elevator and rudder push rods um, because of the wonky kind of angle that the, that the push rods came out on my build. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to put a bend in the rod and potentially weaken it. Uh, so to kind of take up that angle, because they do swivel, I think, up to 15 degrees or so, I think, most of them. Yeah. Um, I was able to, to make that connection at the control surface uh, with a you know with a threaded rod. And I only needed a package of two. Because I only used them on one end of each one. And yeah. guess what's on the other end? A, a Z-Bend? Z-Bend? Yeah. I am not. So that's what I use on mine, too, is a Z-Bend. Yeah. 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 And a Clevis, because I, like I just, I went simple. Yeah. Uh, so. So the thing about all these, though, is they're not all interchangeable. Oh, that's exactly uh, right. Not yep. every connection is appropriate for every situation. Yep. So you wouldn't use, like, a Z-Bend to make the, the connections on a giant-scale airplane. No. You wouldn't use a, a, a heavy-duty ball link on a foamy. Um, you know, there's right ways and wrong ways to set everything up, yep. and we we should want to do it the right way. Yeah. Um, so how do you know what to use where, mm-hmm. uh, or how do you set them up in the most efficient way possible? Yeah, so um, I have some rules that I use, but <clears throat> for starters, you know, um, so when I'm setting up control surfaces, you know, we'll, we'll – We'll, we'll mention things like throw. Um, and that basically is just a very general term uh, that refers to the amount of surface deflection or travel. Kind of all those terms are sort of interchangeable. Um, so, um, and then and then I'm also going to talk about evenness, uh, which is really, really important because um, for consistency across the entire range of travel or consult, uh, excuse me, control <laughs> surface deflection, um, that travel has got to be even in both directions. Um, now, there are exceptions. You know, sometimes we want differential throw, uh, you know, like, for instance, uh, some trainer type airplanes. You, maybe you want more up aileron travel than down to counteract, you know, adverse yaw or, or bad 
not bad, but um, aileron really? Yeah, sometimes. No. Yeah, we used to we used to add aileron differential uh, mechanically way back in the day to ailerons because um, because of the adverse yaw. You know, when you when you'd move the stick one direction, it may want to yaw the other direction because of the increased amount of drag because of the descending aileron caused rather oh, okay. than you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I got you. So no. sometimes we would want to set them up so that they would have more up travel than down travel. I've um, seen it on elevators quite a bit where you want more up elevator than down. Right. 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 Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's, it's better to set everything up even so that they are exactly the same and so that they reach those endpoints at the same point or at the same, I'm not sure if time is the right word, but in the same arc or the same... Um, same rotation? Yeah. So Same degree, right, I guess, exactly. of throw. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So that, so that means that setup... You know, the setting up your your control surface linkages and everything is uh, is, is it plays an important role uh, in proper control surface movement. Like I said, we want everything to be even, um, and there's more to it. There's more to installing your radio and setting up your servos and your linkages than just getting the control surfaces to go the right direction. So a little bit of work in the setup of your control surfaces um, pays big dividends in an airplane that flies consistently and does exactly what you want it to do no matter which direction you go with the stick, if that sort of makes sense. makes sense Um, to me. It's like tuning. I mean, you know, you know, you build a race car, you're going to have to tune the engine. Uh, you build an airplane, you're going to have to tune your control surfaces. And you, you want to start with a nice, even setup from which to tune. Um, now, I don't want to get like, it's cool to talk about this, but I don't want to scare people away. Like, <laughs> right. this right. is getting into it a lot more than most people yeah. would. Um, like, whenever I've set up control surfaces and, and throws and all that kind of stuff, I, I will do it correctly, mm-hmm. but I have never tuned an airplane like that after right. I've been flying it. Yeah. Not saying I shouldn't, not saying I couldn't, but I'm just saying I haven't and I haven't had issues. So yeah, and this, I haven't either. Yeah, so like as a beginner, like if you're flying well, pretty much any over-the-counter type airplane, I would say, mm-hmm. um, if you're not doing competitions, you're not doing any kind of, uh, you know, iMac or, or any of that kind of stuff, you're not going to notice. No. Really. Anything. So yeah. this is good to know, right. but don't get right. scared away because of it. Yeah. yeah. I think and I wanted to just yeah, kind of make I, that. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds <clears throat> because even, even me, I, I spend all, all this time on tuning and setup and stuff. I'm not a good enough pilot probably to, to <laughs> feel an airplane uh, that's not tuned, you know, perfectly. Um, but just because I, won't notice a difference doesn't mean I don't enjoy spending the time to to get it exactly right because I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like that. So I want to set it up right. And, uh, and hey, you know, someday a buddy of mine that is a really good pilot might want to fly my airplane and I would be embarrassed if somebody flew my airplane and, <laughs> and thought, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. So I try to set him up right. So what you're saying is I should never let anybody else fly my airplanes. I'm not saying that at all. That's I flew the airplane and it flew awesome. Now you've made me self-conscious. <laughs> Perfect. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uneven throws, um, in a nutshell, uh, 
in, in your mechanical setup uh, can cause, uh, well, affect further tuning, uh, like dissimilar exponential curves or, you know, dissimilar dual rates or EPAs if you don't have exactly the same travel left or right or up and down of center that affects other tuning later on down the road. So bottom line, we just want a nice, even setup uh, from the start. Um, and the way to do that is with a deflection gauge. I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. Just get yourself a relatively inexpensive deflection gauge. There's many of them on the market. If you start with an even setup, then, you know, a nice even, you know, you've got 27 degrees of travel to the left make sure you have 27 degrees of travel to the right. And, uh, and you, you'll be rewarded with an airplane that responds the way you want it to. And then if you get really good eventually, um, and you really want to start uh, exploring the limits and, and the fine-tuning, you'll at least have an even setup from which to start. Okay, so you said you use certain rules to set these things up. What, <laughs> what are your Tom's rules? Tom's rules. <laughs> uh, I have lots of rules, which is weird. Well, I mean, what are um, your rules for this? <laughs> okay. Uh, so these are my rules. I'll just caveat this whole conversation that's about to happen, that these are the rules I use. They work for me. They've worked for me for a long time. And they actually work for you because this is kind of the advice I give you too whenever you ask. So here we go. Rule number <laughs> one, um, proper servo centering, right? So we talked about in our last episode using the... the um, servo tester. Servo tester. Uh, you can also use your radio system, but make sure your trims are neutral and the sticks are neutral. You turn everything on, let everything go to its to its center point. I'm talking about everything but throttle. Um, and then turn everything off. Turn the radio off or the uh, uh, receiver side off first. That way nothing moves when you turn the transmitter off. And now you have the perfect center. Okay, so the servo's centered. Now we want to make our connection. Hold on, before you go, like I like what you said there about how to do that, but my issue with doing it that way is have you ever tried to hook up a servo that A, has no power to it, so it's not trying to stay centered, and B, has no way to keep itself centered? So I it's have. very yep. easy to knock that out of center and not know that you did that. It's true. So that's why for as cheap yes. as those servo testers are, like I said, it was a, a three-pack for <laughs> next to <laughs> they nothing. They were cheap, yeah. Um, that is, to me, the only way to do it yeah. because it's so much simpler. You don't have a lot of electronics sitting out, and you know you're centered yep. the and, whole time. And it will hold it there while you're attaching your linkages while you're messing and making with your it. adjustments and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah, because mm -hmm. when you turn everything off, yeah, the servo now is is uh, susceptible to, to movement. You can physically move it off of its center. But anyway, proper servo centering, get that servo centered. And then the connection that we make at the servo, ideally, uh, will we'll form a right angle, okay? So you've got your push rod coming to the servo, and it connects to the servo leg, right? That connection, that, that push rod to leg if you want to draw a line from the output shaft out to the point where the push rod actually connects to that leg, you want that oh. as close to 90 degrees as possible. That way, we're talking about evenness again. So that way, your left travel is going to match your right travel because you've got it set up at a 90-degree angle. Now, so that way, the, the arc, when you go... I don't want to say negative, but like when you move the servo one way, the arc is the exact same movement, same exactly. degree yep. as it is if you go the opposite way. Exactly. Because That's if exactly it's not right. 90 degrees when you start, then that, that angle is going to change more going one way than the other. Yep. Okay, I'm exactly following what you're right. saying now. Yep. Sure. And 
if you wanted to picture that on a on on a round servo wheel, that's the that's akin to uh, mounting the connection off center from you know from that from that arm. And then what does that do for us? Well, that was a mechanical way we used to set up differential throw. And differential throw by definition is, is different. more one way than the <laughs> other way. So we don't want that. We want a nice, even uh, uh, amount of travel left and right or up and down. So we want that to be as close to 90 degrees as we can. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. So um, there, like we mentioned, the servo arms have different legs on them. Sometimes you may need to pop that arm off, rotate it to the next leg. And like, if it's not the 90 degrees that you wanted with one leg, rotate that thing. And usually you can find one leg on that arm that will give you the 90 degrees. Now that's, that's for multiple off degree arms. So if you have a two arm servo, two armed servo. Two legged servo arm. <laughs> so if you have... So if you have a two-legged servo arm, you're not going to be able to get that uh, odd angle out of it. So it's going to have to be one that's like a, a odd number of legs. So like a five or or something. Well, that's Maybe not exactly true. So I've oh, I've had okay. I've had them be 180 out like that before. And rotating, it's weird. I can't explain it, but because of the the odd number of splines that are on the output shaft, when you take that servo arm and rotate it 180 degrees, sometimes that will give you the between tooth oh, really? um, alignment that you need. Oh. Sometimes, not well, always. Well, forget I said anything and let's well, move on. <laughs> but more often than not, 180 gives you the exact same results. But yeah. um, try it. You know, if, if that doesn't do it, then grab one of the other arms that came with your servo so long as it's enough to give you the travel you want uh, and find a leg that at neutral makes that 90-degree connection. Huh. Um, okay. So that's rule number one. So rule number two, longer pushrod lengths are usually better than uh, short ones. And this is really, really, yeah, this is really nothing more than spreading out wonky angles over a longer distance. Uh, it minimizes their effect on everything. So if you can imagine, if you have a really short push rod and you rotate your servo through 120 degrees of rotation from one side all the way over to the other, you notice that that angle is going to get extreme as, as it gets to its outermost uh, limits. If you take that push rod and make it longer, it's less extreme. I so, understand now. Yeah. So for, Which is odd because like just from a top down perspective, I guess, I would think it would be the opposite because you would have the possibility to have more play in it. Right. You know, if, if you don't have a strong enough push rod, you're going to be able to get more vibrations or what yep. in it if it's longer. So, yep. so yeah, longer. And like I said, these are my rules. Uh, I usually try to go with longer push rods. And if, uh, if you have the option, you can, you know, sometimes if you want to make them longer, you can mount the servo in a different position or a different location. Um, in the case of an R, sometimes you can rotate the servo 180 degrees in the mount to get the output shaft farther away from the control surface uh, so that you can use a longer push rod. And most of them are actually set up that way. I've seen ARFs that are not set up that way, and then they don't give you push rods long enough to make the long <laughs> push rods. So then I'm fishing through my stack of push rods and soldering on and and, and anyway, um, longer push rods, generally speaking, are better than shorter ones. That's rule number two. Okay. Rule number three. Um, so I try to make it so that my connection on the servo side is as close to the output shaft as possible and on the control surface side as far away from the hinge line as possible while still giving me the total amount of travel that I want. Okay. So that's for more torque? 
So what I'm doing here is I'm taking advantage of the mechanical leverage that my servo has that I paid so much money for. I want to make sure I'm using up all of that resolution and all of that torque that I'm able to get. Like the farther out you move on the servo arm, generally speaking, the less torque you're able to get out of your servo. So, yeah. And that also plays with all the other aspects of your servo, like your centering ability and how precise it is and all these other things. The closer you are into that output shaft, the more precise the control is and the more torque you get out of the servo. So um, you want to obviously get as much travel as you need. Don't set up your control surfaces so that you have more travel than you need because then you're using up that adjustment and you're using up resolution that you have in the servo. So that makes sense. I get so, that. Yep. Shorter at the servo side and longer at the control surface side, if possible. And don't try and do 45 degree like deflection on airplanes that don't need it. Like a duelist. Like exactly. I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was flying your duelist and I was using quarter of stick maybe. And that thing was rolling plenty, plenty good. <laughs> so you have resolution that you're giving away on your servos that I, yeah. um, by, because of the, of the mechanical setup. So um, get as much deflection as you want. Right. But don't set it up so that you get more than you need because um, you're giving away resolution on your servo. So shorter at the servo arm, longer at the control surface. So that I'm, is, I'm hearing I need to redo mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's rule oh, three. Agreed. <laughs> so rule number four, uh, mount the horn. Okay, now we're talking about the control surface. Mount the horn where it needs to be so that you get even deflection. And that doesn't always mean that the hinge or the pivot point is directly in line with the hinge line. That is a rule of thumb that uh, that a lot of folks use, and I do too. And yeah. that's a good starting point, like to set your the pivot point of the arm directly above or below the hinge line. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't always yield even uh, a distribution of throw, because sometimes it depends on how your servo is mounted. And this usually happens on hmm. on our larger airplanes where we have like elevator servos mounted you know, in the, in the horizontal stabilizer because of the angle and everything that the servo is mounted, we're not, we're not able to attain that 90 degree square that we're talking about on the servo side. So, you know, we may have to make up for that by offsetting the pivot point from the hinge line. So there's a lot of geometry that goes into there it. There is a lot of geometry. Yeah. Um, and Another, you know, another good uh, use for the deflection gauge is to, is to, is this point here. Um, a lot of times you can, and so I'll try to make this short. Sometimes I have tack glued, uh, like the nylon control horns to my control surfaces to be able to manipulate them through the range of motion to make sure I'm getting evenness before I settle on a, on a point where I want to actually mount it to the control surface. Before you drill. And exactly. Okay. Um, That's so, a good idea. I'd never done that yeah. before. Medium CA sticks good to Monaco, but also pops off pretty freely and allows you also to then, you know, drill, drill it and mount it. But um, hmm. anyway, um, mount the horn where it needs to be to give you even deflection. Don't just stick it above the hinge line, especially if you're really into precision. Uh, don't just <laughs> stick it above the, the hinge line because you may or may not get evenness that way. So you mount it where it needs to be mounted. Don't mount it where everybody just tells you to mount it. And that brings us to rule five. Uh Pay attention. You mentioned geometry. Pay attention to geometry. Um, this is really, really important with 3D setups uh, because of the amount of deflection that we're talking about. Some, you know, you said 45 degrees. 
some of the 3D setups are that much or more. Um, I don't fly 3D. I'm not very good at it. I probably don't fly <laughs> enough to get good at it, but yeah. um, that doesn't mean I don't pay attention to the geometries. Um, and by geometry, I'm talking about like the plane of travel, right? So on an aileron, let's say, uh, let's say you have your, your servo mounted in the wing, like, like most aileron servos are mounted these days on our, on our balsa planes, the plane of rotation from the servo is actually offset from the plane of rotation of the actual control surface. It's 90 degrees off. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, let's say we used really, really short control horns and that angle gets really, really wonky at, at either end, um, then we could potentially run into binding or unevenness or um, lots of bad things, you know, uh, bad angles, uh, like, a, like a, for instance, a swivel, swivel link that's outside its range of motion is going to cause binding and stress and things like that. So uh, you want to pay attention to the geometries um, and run these things through their complete range of motion before you settle on a position for mounting the servo or, or setting up your uh, push rod or, or what have you. Um, it's just something that you have to pay attention to. Don't just slap your servo in there and hook up the control rods the way they are in the pictures of your manual and then expect it to work. More often than not, it's going to be just fine. But know that uh, you know there are limitations to every installation and geometries uh, play a big part of that. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're dealing with something that's operating in the same plane, uh, it's less of an issue. But definitely, like on our ailerons, on our bigger airplanes, that can be an issue. So we don't want to set up any binding, um, and we certainly don't want to develop any slop, which brings me to my sixth and final rule. Finally. <laughs> um, avoid the slop, right? <laughs> um, you know, I yeah. mentioned I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that easy connectors, you know, can can you know wallow. Introduce you know, yeah, slop. Yeah, water yeah. out the hole, and then you've got weird setup there. Just avoid the slop whenever possible. You want to make your connections as as tight as possible. Snug. But, but you also don't want them to bind. Yeah. Um, if you're going to use Z-bends, for example, uh, make sure that the hole you bore in the arm or the horn is exactly the right size. You don't want it too tight, and you definitely don't want it loose because that's going to develop slop. Um, also, uh, Another little trick I use is if I can get away with it, I will make the connections on both the arm and the horn as far away from the center line of both of those as possible, as long as I can still get the travel I want. And the reason for that is it, uh, it, it lessens the effect of slop. So let's say, let's say we've got them connected. As, so just to make sure, you use the farthest out hole that you can use? If possible, yes. Oh. Yep. Um, and what that does is any slop that might be present in the system, the farther out you go, the less effect it has on the overall system. Like if you can imagine having the okay. push rod connected really close to the servo, any slop in the servo connection there is going to, say, develop into three to four degrees of movement at the control surface. Whereas if you move it out and that you, you increase that distance, it gives the, the angle less... Um, arm, if you will, yeah. to actually move that surface. So you may go from three to four degrees. If you're mounted inside, you move it out, you may only get a degree or so. So, um, and then that was one more thing I wanted to mention. I forgot to mention it earlier. Ratio. Uh, it's not really a, a rule of mine, but I try to make it so that my ratios are not one to one. Why are you smiling? 
Well, because you said you were finished, then you threw a thing on it, even I though did. it's not an actual rule. <laughs> um, okay, how about a general guideline, number 1A, or something like <laughs> there that? There you go. General guideline number 1A. There we go. Uh, mm-hmm. So ratios. Um, so the distance, the distance at the servo. Uh, let's say from the center of the output shaft to my connect, connection point, let's say that's half an inch. Um, and let's say my connection at the control surface from the center line or from the hinge line to the connection point is also a half inch. Half inch to half inch, that's a one-to-one ratio. I try to avoid that whenever possible. Um, number one, because I usually don't need that much travel. Um, but number two, uh, because I'm potentially leaving resolution on my servo on the table. So usually um, I'm, I'm making it such that the the ratio is more like in favor of the servo. So it might be one to two or one to, or 50 to 70 or, or whatever that is. I try not to make that one to one. And the reason for that, again, is just resolution. I want to get as much resolution out of my servo that I paid for. And if I usually if I go one-to-one, I'm leaving that on the table because I've either got too much travel that I don't need, mm-hmm. therefore I'm using up those steps in the, in the resolution that I don't need, um, or it's setting up some uh, potential for slop or, or something like that. So I try to avoid one-to-one. Makes sense. Never thought about it, yep. but that makes sense. So those are my rules and my general guideline 1A for <laughs> how I set up my servo connections. Uh, hope that was helpful. Yeah, hopefully it was. We'll By see. and large, if you build an ARF according to the instructions, you're going to be just fine. But if you really, really like to tinker, like me, um, time spent in the workshop uh, pays dividends on a, on a model that flies uh, the way it should and, and maybe better than one that uh, was not cared for as it was assembled. Why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean anything by it. Oh, you're so... Anyway. We do need to adjust the, the controls on your Duelist, though. Yeah. Uh, we will. Before yeah. we fly it again. Cool. I've got some adjustments to make on mine, too. Yeah. Like and new, I want to make mine faster than Like yours. new engines. What? Uh, nothing. Are you serious? <laughs> no. Did you really get new engines for it? <laughs> no. Why would I do that? What did you get? I didn't get anything. Oh, gosh. Okay. I have engines. Why would you? You were so, like, fawning over these Irvine things, and they were like, I don't <laughs> know, the teasing. perfect thing ever. So you're not changing them? I'm, I'm hunting for 110 now. I want to hit 110 mile an hour with that airplane. Oh, my. I just want 100, so. Oh, you're there easy. A well, few, a few yeah, little tweaks and you're over 100, I bet. Oh, I would be, yeah. So, okay. That's all I have for <laughs> servo okay. setup and uh, and installation. Hopefully you've found this interesting and uh, not uh, not too boring, but I did get into the weeds there. But spend some time in the shop, get the servo set up just right, and you'll have a really, really good flying airplane. Fun. Anything else? Uh, that's all I got. All right. Then until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Good night. Good night.